The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, The Curse of Peladon. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Very well, thanks. <laughs> so, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook. At None Facebook. taken. <laughs> None, right. <laughs> Facebook.com slash Secrets of Doctor. Did I say something wrong? Did I did I misspeak? Oh, you you know, Nanu dog face with a banana patch. Okay. <laughs> All right. Folks, remember to like the Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Secrets of Doctor Who. Retweet us on Twitter where we're at SQPN and uh, be sure to leave us comments in both places. We love to hear from you there. Uh, and I want to tell you about another show on the network you're sure to enjoy called Raising the Bets, with I do I do with my wife Melanie. You can check it out wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. So uh, this episode, the Chris of Peladon, we're doing a little slightly out of order, as you may have noticed. We This third Doctor story comes right before. No, no, nobody notices. I know. No, it, we've got this spreadsheet where we have this intricate weaving back and forth through different <laughs> doctors and stuff. Well, but it's not that. But, we talked about the Sea Devils a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. which was a, which is the third Doctor story that follows this. Yeah, but, but we did that one before this because of obviously the legend of the Sea Devil Thirteenth Doctor story that uh, is on Easter. So, I mean, there's always someone who re- who realizes we've done something. This out is of Doctor work. Who. This is Doctor Who. The answer is always wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. That's right. That's right. Just anything that's confusing, just just wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, and we move on. Count. Count the time, c- c- uh, contact the Time Lords Matrix for more details. All right, let's talk yeah. about this. Enough of that nonsense. Uh, let's talk about the Curse of Peladon. Now, did Peladon come up in a 12th Doctor story? Was it mentioned yes. there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we have the, the Empress of Mars episode where yeah. we, we see Alpha Centauri and the Ice Warriors who first appear in, or the Ice Warriors appeared before this, but Alpha Centauri appears in this for the first time oh yeah okay. and peladon has its own legacy in doctor who fandom which we can talk about yep. um it is not just this episode okay it's much much bigger than that okay all so right this that, is where we first see this yeah i gotcha i gotcha all right jimmy so why don't we uh, have a recap of what goes on in this episode the third Doctor and Joe Grant arrive on the planet Peladon, which is at a turning point in its history. Peladon is a medieval planet in our far future, and it's about to have a new king coronated. It's also being evaluated for membership in the Galactic Federation, and a group of delegates from different races are there to evaluate it. The Doctor is mistaken for the delegate from Earth, and Joe is mistaken for an Earth princess. King Peladon falls in love with Joe and wants her to become his queen. But all is not well. On Peladon, they worship a one-horned creature called Agador that's half-man, half-bear, and half-pig. And the high priest of Agador, a man named Hapash, is afraid of joining the Galactic Federation and wants to preserve Peladon's medieval ways. To that end, he's formed a plot with the delegate from Arcturus 
to keep Peladon out of the Federation. Hepesh starts hoaxing Agador appearances and using the creature to kill and scare people, telling the king that they will face the man-bear-pig's vengeance if they don't <laughs> preserve their traditional ways. Eventually, Hepesh stages a coup against the king and says that he will kill him if, he, they, if they don't give up plans to join the Federation. But the doctor has hypnotized Agador into being his friend, and so when Hepesh tries to sick the creature on the doctor, it kills Hepesh instead. Afterward, all is well, except the king still wants to marry Joe. And before they can watch the king's coronation, the real Earth delegate finally shows up, forcing the doctor and Joe to make a quick exit. The end. Do we have a sense of, like, when these... In Classic Who, they often are, like, traveling out into space, and it feels like the like the far future, because if Earth is, you know, part of this Galactic Federation, it must be mm-hmm. far future. But do we have a sense, like, is this, does it always take place in the same general time frame? No, it, uh, it, this is one of the things that TARDIS Wikia has done a good job of, is integrating the chronology studies that fans have done of Mm. when things occur in relation to each other. And sometimes we're in the 30th century, sometimes we're in the 40th century, sometimes we're in the 50th century. It, it really varies. This time we're in, according to information in, in other media that help them be precise about it, this is like in the 39th, 40th century. Th- uh, 3885 is what uh, oh, Wikia shows. 39th then, yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting because there's a, it, it, that's one of the things I like is that there feels like this story behind the story. There's a bigger story mm-hmm. of the history of the galaxy of the universe behind it the the events that we see so i kind of like that i that feel like it feels like a bigger universe mm-hmm. so and and that comes up from time to time because it can impact the stories they want to tell like for example in orphan 55 uh in jody whitaker's time it contradicts the main established doctor who timeline and so they had to frame that as well that's an alternate future that could happen but right. it's not the mm. not the established actual future. Gotcha. There, there's definitely a bigger story when it comes to Peladon. This is the planet's first appearance, but that mix of middle age court politics and sci fi is you know that's like candy. And so, yeah. <laughs> even during the third Doctor's time, we're going to go back to Peladon for the Bride of Peladon. And then in Big Finish spinoff media, there's the Prisoner of Peladon, the Ordeal of Peladon, the Poison of Peladon, the Death of Peladon, and the Truth of Peladon, to name a few. So mm-hmm. Peladon is an established, like, place. I'm it's, sorry, it's, it's the Monster of Peladon okay. that is uh, the next John Pertwee one. Uh, Bride of Peladon is Big Finish. Oh, okay. Right. And uh, it's not Joe who goes uh, back with the Third Doctor. It's Sarah Jane. That could be. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it is. Okay. Because um, that would be awkward otherwise. It's, oh, hey, Joe. <laughs> my, my once and future fiance. Um, Peladon. By the way, but, yeah. by the way oh, well, this may be what you were just going to mention, but King Peladon yes. is himself David Troughton, the son of the second doctor. Yes. Yeah. You could totally see the resemblance there, the, that there was a lot of, especially around the mouth, the way he talked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and of course, we see David Troughton later in Midnight. Yes. The 10th Doctor episode. He was the professor in there. Where he looks very different. It's kind of fu- uh, funny. Like, he, when he, you know, of course, he's much older. He's, you know, 40 years older. But, uh, yeah, it's it's awesome to to see 
the legacy there. He, except for his height, because he's substantially taller. Uh, he mm-hmm. looks now that he's older a lot like his father, and he sounds a lot like him now because yeah. you know the text, texture of his voice has changed. And so he's been um, voicing uh, Patrick Troughton on Big Finish. That's awesome. That is so cool. I like that. Um, so we have, uh, like you mentioned, there's this the 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 doctor and Joe are traveling. Where are they going to? They're tra- they're trying to go somewhere. They're testing back the TARDIS. But they're going back to someplace yeah. on Earth. So previously, the doctor has been working on trying to get the TARDIS functioning because he's had knowledge. He's had he's had his his knowledge of temporal mechanics removed by the Time Lords and key components of the TARDIS removed. But he's constantly been trying to get it fixed to where he can leave Earth. And in the early series, before the 10th anniversary, he managed to get off of Earth like once a season when they had the funding mm-hmm. for an for an outer space episode. But at the end of like the previous episode, he had been working on getting it together. And so apparently he has barged in on Joe at the last minute, who was all dressed up in a fancy dress yeah. to go out on a date with Captain Yates. And he said, no, 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 you must come with me for just a quick test flight on the TARDIS. And so they're trying to get back to Earth after this quick test flight, but instead they land on Peladon, where Joe's fancy dress actually helps create the impression that she is an Earth princess. <laughs> yeah. Right, because uh, the according to Peladon Law, you know, uh, a woman— death. Yeah, a woman may not enter the throne room unless she is royalty on the pain of death. They Death seems to be the, the pretty much the common— uh, punishment for most things uh, on Peladon. <laughs> uh, so the planet is called Peladon. The king is called Peladon. So there, which is a little confusing. Well, this is a. It is to Americans. Yeah. Um, it is. It is less so to British folks because in British in British culture historically, people would frequently be called by the title of mm. of where they were a royal person. That's true. So if if you are the lord of Suffolk, let's say, I, I don't know that there is a Lord of Suffolk, but suppose you are, yeah. you would just, frequently, you would just be called Suffolk. Right. Yeah. And so King Peladon presumably has some other name, but because he's the King of Peladon, he gets called Peladon. Because the delegate from Alpha Centauri is from Alpha Centauri, he gets called Alpha Centauri. The delegate from Arcturus gets called Arcturus. It's all right. the same thing. Okay, okay. These yeah, I re- gal- galactic. Yeah. higher up hoity-toity people so they get <laughs> called by where they're from right right yeah it reminds me of king henry the shakespeare's henry the uh henry the th- third fourth mm-hmm. i forget which one which uh, one of those henry's the battle of agincourt and he, call, he talks to gloucester and he talks to yeah so I, yeah that that makes sense um yeah and then we have we have uh the delegate from arcturus which is this funny little creature in a bubble on oh. a pedestal yeah, it's 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 <laughs> a little little green squishy head with tendrils in a dome. Yeah, in it's, a travel machine. It's a little, little creepy. Then we have this um, insect like Alpha Centaurin. Uh, insect like is interesting. Yeah, I struggle to find the description. I, well, <laughs> I think the best way to describe the costume design for Alpha Centauri is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, there. It, in the Sixth Doctor's time, you know, we dealt with the vervoids, and the costume design for the vervoids was also unfortunate. Depending on how you looked at their heads, they could either look like a part of female anatomy or a part of male anatomy. Mm. Yeah, but there's no ambiguity in this case. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a Cyclops. It has one eye and then right in the middle mm-hmm. of the, the face. It, it actually, it's the top of it is a whole eye. I mean, there's like nothing else but eye. It's basically it's like, a giant eyeball. Yeah, let's let's yeah. go with that. And then uh, we have two uh, ice warriors, Sorg mm-hmm. uh, uh, and Isler. And I, I, I really like how the doctor assumes that yes. based on past encounters that they're villains, mm-hmm. and they're not. Yeah, and the doctor is prejudiced against them, and he has to come around. And Joe comes yep. around first because she's never met him before. She's more open minded to the Ice Warriors, and um, and no, they're yeah, they are actually good guys. They try to save the doctor's life and stuff. Right, right, yeah. Th- that's I really. It's one of the things I like about, especially the early uh, doctors, is but really up through four and five, the doctor's often wrong. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know, you know, he, he seems confident, but he's wrong. And so he has to learn over time and, you know, adapt and change. And whereas I guess when you only have 45 minutes, the doctor has to be mostly right, right out of the gate and be the the smartest person in the room. Not necessarily to the level that we do see in, especially in like the 10th and the 11th doctor where yeah. they, they know everything just because they know everything. Right. Um, but yeah, so the, the doctor doesn't know that at some point the ice warriors give up violence, which of course that we do see in the Empress of Mars. That was that yeah. episode. That's what happened. Right, right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because his last encounter was as the second doctor when they were attacking on Earth, and so that was a, a, a very different experience. So I liked when the doctor and Joe were lost in the tunnels beneath the. So the TARDIS materializes on a cliff. Uh, precariously perched, which seems to happen with all too much regularity, frankly. Yeah, where have we <laughs> yeah. seen that before? Yeah, not too much. Specifically at the end of the rescue and the beginning of the Romans, the TARDIS right. materialized and then fell off a cliff. That was our <laughs> yeah. cliffhanger. Yes. And and that's what we have here. It materializes and then falls off a cliff. <laughs> right. That's that's really extreme TARDIS separation when it like falls a thousand feet down a cliff or whatever it is. <laughs> right, right. They have a really dramatic shot of it going down from the Doctor and Joe's perspective. You're looking down the cliff watching the TARDIS fall away into the distance. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and uh, so they have to climb through some tunnels beneath the castle that's higher up on the cliff that Joe discovers. And I like at one point they're they're lost in the tunnel, so the doctor does eeny meeny miny mo to choose a direction. They hear a roar, which turns out to be Agador, and Joe chooses meeny. What I think should have happened is they hear the roar, and the doctor sh- should have said, "You uh, should you know eeny meeny miny mo." Oh, this way, Joe, and had a rhyme, and it would have been awesome. Oh, uh-huh. <sighs> you know, it's just these Missed writers. Opportunities. Yeah, I know these writers don't, don't <laughs> they don't know anything about dad jokes, <laughs> so. Um, oh yes, they do. The doctor then intro- <laughs> uh, the doctor then introduces her as Princess Josephine of Tardis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He does. He does. That's true. Um, so there's a there's a talk of the curse of oh, Agador, and she, yeah. after oh, yeah, having been swept away on this Tardis test flight and crashed on a planet and is now stranded, um, as once she assumes the persona of a royal, she really gets into it and is talking to uh, the the gang in the throne room about, you know, how her trip to Peladon was. And she says, the whole thing was exceedingly deplorable. The pilot was most inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor standing right there. Yeah, he, yeah, he, yeah, yeah the look that. he gave her is, you know, <laughs> if, if looks could kill type of deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was going to say there's a talk of a curse of Agador, and then there's a talk of curse, a curse of Peladon. 
And Agador is the big creature. Is that the same thing? Like this prophecy of the curse of Pelador? Peladon? Yeah, it's essentially all one thing. And okay. Agador is sort of their god, but it's also this man bear pig, and um, and it's kind of mythological at this point. But we're told later the Doctor somehow. I don't know, he remote views this or something, because there's no explanation for how he <laughs> learned it on screen. But uh, he, he tells us later that Hepesh, the high priest, found a bunch of Agador that still survive on some remote mountains and brought one in and trained it. Okay. Yep. Thought to be extinct, but turns out not to be, and therefore, yeah. Okay. Yeah. This would kind of be like the cult of the cave bear on Earth if cave bears were rare. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So we have... Uh, this delegation from the Galactic Federation, and apparently they don't have a prime directive where you have to be, you know, a spacefaring civilization to join, uh, because, like we said, Peladon is apparently a medieval society. Although it's it's clearly before they decided to join the Federate that Galactic Federation that there had been travelers to the planet because uh, King Peladon, his mom was. Earth. An Earthling. Right, that's mm -hmm. true, that's true. So that people had been already traveling to this planet before this. Okay. Yeah. By the way, speaking of that, I wanted to comment on the costume. We mentioned the costume design for, I mean, people know what the Ice Warriors look like if they're regular fans of the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then we commented on what Arcturus and Alpha Centauri look like. But uh, also, they have a special look for the Peladonians. Mm -hmm. Basically, they are blonde but, I mean, the the difference is in hair color. They are blonde, but they have this big prominent stripe down the center of their hair on their scalp that is red. Mm -hmm. And so the, it kind of goes blonde, red, blonde on, on the mm -hmm. tops of their heads. And then for their beards, they have handlebars coming out where they're from below their mustache, which are also red, but otherwise the beards are blonde. And... I think that's a that's a good because that kind of patterning in hair, it does occur in a lot of Earth species. You know, you look at at dogs and mm -hmm. cats and stuff, and they'll have spots in their hair that are different colors. But it doesn't occur in humans. We tend to have you know we don't have zones of we don't have stripes in our hair that way, right? And so I think that's a nice low budget way of making the Peladonians look non human, right? And they put thought into it because. Even though uh, Peladon himself is a beardless boy king, his because of his Earth Mother heritage, the patterning in his hair is still there, but it's not as clear. It's more mm. of it's not a it's not a, a a crisp, clear red stripe down the center of his scalp hair. It's kind of a diffused, more irregular redness in that part of of his scalp hair with blonde on each side, and so. I, I noticed that, and I thought, oh, it's because of his Earth mom. Yep. Right, right. That's true. But they never talk about that. Yeah. It's just they're the, something the costumers did. And uh, so speaking of the, the, the Peladonians, so we have Peladon, the, the, the younger, uh, who is now about to be king. His father had died so when, when he was young, and he was raised by these two brothers, Torbus and Hepesh, are they Tor brothers? I thought they were just advisors. No, well, he referred to him as his brother, and they look a lot alike. Uh, and I don't, I, I, I kind of assume that they meant literal brothers as opposed to perhaps, you know, uh, spiritual brothers. You know, like brothers in arms, or brothers something in like arms, that. or yeah. brothers in in the court. But they do, but they do say brother at one point. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so one's the chancellor and the other's the high Torbus is the chancellor. Hepesh is the high priest. Uh, Torbus favors joining the Galactic Federation. Hepesh opposes it. And Hepesh, as you mentioned, eventually has Torbus killed by the Agador. And uh, I'm uh, a little surprised given, and I was a little confused in the episode by Wait, he's, he's, he's been a king since he was a boy. But then by episode four, he's only getting coronated now. Apparently, we had a. I mean, typically, what you'd happen and have happened in a lot of Earth uh, cultures is you would have um, a region. Well, yeah, but and that's kind of what Torbus and uh, and Hepesh have been for him, or like mm-hmm. co-regents. But normally, you'd have for the sake of political stability, you'd want the new person sworn in quickly to discourage um, coups and things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so even if you've got a regent who's running the show or advisors who are running the show, you would expect the monarch to have already been installed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and they, they call Peladon King, King Peladon. Yeah. They, they refer to him as that. king the whole time. It's just he's never had the coronation, apparently. Right. Right. Interesting. Um, and then we also oh, there's a, a, a little bit where they're recounting the legend of Agador in the throne room. And about the omen of a stranger appearing. And, of course, that's when the Doctor and Joe are brought in, having been found you know, emerging from the hidden tunnels. Uh, and uh, so a funny little occurrence. And uh, they pretend, you know, the Doctor pretends to be the chairman delegate from Earth and Joe, Princess Josephine of Tardis. And I, and I wondered here, like, why is the Doctor so in, suddenly so invested in playing this role of Earth delegate and, you know, considering Peladon's admission to the Federation? Like, why doesn't he, like... Oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So we're I'm totally the chairman delegate. Uh, by the way, I get uh, something to do, and I'll be back later. And then just go find the TARDIS at the base of the mountain. Well, they've already established he can't climb down to the base of the mountain. He needs these people's help to go get the TARDIS. Okay. Right. Okay. And and there's a little bit. Joe pokes him at it. It's like you're enjoying this, aren't you? Yeah, he does. You like know. you know, uh, as the Time Lords will later say in the Trial of a Time Lord. He does really do like to meddle a bit, doesn't he? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he kind of enjoys it. Yeah. So, and by, and by the way, we should mention too is that the doctor figures out that the reason why he's there in the first place is because the Time Lords drug him in the TARDIS. They to drag, yeah, they drag the TARDIS there. Yeah. 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 Which they have had a history of doing <laughs> recently. And will yeah. continue to do. Yeah. By the way, another little aspect of Peladonian culture that they established that they never talk about, but is just there visually, is the salute that they use on on Peladon. Basically, they like put their arm horizontally in front of their chest and then bow, mm-hmm. and they keep doing that in the royal court. And to me, it just looks like you're they're pretending to be a French waiter, and they just need a they need a they need a cloth <laughs> draped over their arm. Yes, yes, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> um, so like we said, the doctor, you know, immediately suspects that the ice warriors are be- are behind the bad things that are going on, like a statue that falls and almost hits Peladon, and other people, you know, uh, getting hurt. And uh, this is his pre-existing prejudice. And Joe ends up going to you know sneak into the ice warriors' room. To find it was like a device. Arcturus was uh, in his his environmental plinth, whatever the mobile plinth that he's on, uh, was tampered with and something taken. So she went to look for it in the Ice Warriors' room and against gets caught orders. against the Doctor's orders, of course, and gets caught. And then they they explain to her, "No, we're pacifists. We only fight in self defense." And she points out that then why does Sorg have a gun? 
And uh, I like the answer. In, in order to preserve peace, it is necessary to survive, which is a, a mm. good a good explanation mm. for why you would be armed. Uh, again, very different from later Doctor Who. Um, so we have we also have this um, King's Champion, a mute champion named Grun, mm-hmm. and the uh, the the Doctor ends up getting he ends up violating this the the sanctuary of Agador. He ends up you know, wandering into that chapel of Agador, say. Which they um, special they call the Holy of Holies. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very very serious offense. And of course, it means death. But uh in order to and get it, and it and it allows of no defense. King Peladon tells him to discharge the laws of Peladon allow of no defense and only one punishment, death. <clears throat> right. Which turns out not to quite be true. You right. can do trial by combat to get out of it because of course you can. Yes. I mean, this is a John Pertwee episode. Yeah, so we're I was going to have, have... <laughs> Pertwee fighting. <laughs> yeah, but but it, it I I I find a charge that admits of no defense. How does that work? Someone just has to charge you, and you can't defend yourself. Really? Well, I mean, I it, you, anyone could just say, "Hey, I hey, this guy just violated the holy of holies. Kill him," and you'd have to. There's this, I mean, <laughs> th- there are cultures on Earth where that's essentially true right now. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, if if you get accused of blasphemy in Pakistan uh, by an imam, you're pretty much convicted and sentenced. Even, yeah. I they know, have a agreed, show trial, but, but yeah. But this is no show trial. It's like go directly to execution chamber. That's true. That's true. Uh, so we do have this trial by combat in the pit where the doctor and Grun, who is, I love that you have a shot of, you have to fight the king's champion, and we we have this uh, shot of the camera angled up from below Grun, yeah. <laughs> like he's like eight feet tall or something, uh, which is funny. And then uh, so they have to climb down into this pit, which is surrounded by cargo netting, and mm-hmm. it has various weapons inside. And there's an extended fight, and you know it's all very uh, stage fighting. You know, it's like clearly, yeah, yeah. They they didn't put too much money into that set. You know, a little bit of sand and some cargo netting, and that was about. It. Yeah, and the sand wasn't all that deep because you could see the floor like sometimes under the, when their foot would push the sand aside. But the doctor so, ends up uh, defeating Grun by shoving his head through the netting and then squeezing his neck with the, the, the cords of the net. But not killing him. Right. Because right. he says, of course, I'm not going to kill the King's Champion, which, of course, we all know you weren't going to do. Right. Because of the show it is. So this is a comment in my notes about this sequence in in the in the story but it's true more broadly of the story this has that 1960s paint by numbers writing mm-hmm. that gets of dialogue that i find annoying because it's so unrealistic like after king peladon has accused or has had the doctor accused of desecrating the sanctuary of the holy of holies and he's explained that what's going to happen. The doctor protests his innocence and says, you know, I have no, I had no idea that that's where the tunnels were leading. I would never have gone in there and so forth. And then Joe pops up with this paint by numbers dialogue of, but you must believe him. Right. And it's like, okay, mm. give me, give him some evidence, you know, <laughs> but, right. but just don't, this is, this is, I don't, I, I don't know why this mode of writing was so common back in this era of television but there's this argument style that is completely unrealistic or at least comes across to me as completely unrealistic where you have like that's just a chance we'll have to take 
Gorn, <laughs> you know, but you must believe him. And so it's like, it, I just well, don't know what it is with writers from this yeah. period. It's almost like well, we have to have the uh, hysterical woman uh, pleading for the life of the hero trope going on, you know? Well, not even that. You can have men say things like, but you yeah. must believe me. Right. And it's like, well, yeah. give him some evidence, <laughs> you know, give him an argument. Well, then I, I, I would be interested in, you know, what popular novels and so on at the time would be, you know, they'd be similar writing, especially more like the pulp type novels. And I just, I, I wonder if, you know, because for a long time, television, acting in television was seen as kind of lowbrow. You know, you, mm-hmm. your goal as an actor was to start in television so that you could then move to movies. Right. And now it's kind of almost reversed. But we're, we're, actors are more willing to be on TV. And I wonder if the same was for writers, where writing for TV serials like this were considered lowbrow. And so it didn't always attract the best writers with the best uh, mm-hmm. plot lines or conversation lines. Yeah. I mean, especially when you had to produce, you know, how many dozens of episodes a year? It just, you know, you're, you're churning out stuff at this point. It's, yeah. I, it's possible. The um, also connected with this sequence. I I just it, it even though it's it's itself formulaic to have you know a main character like John Pertwee who has a special inclination in this direction get him into a fight scene or like a one on one fight scene like a duel mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. um wow they would never do that with Jodie Whittaker <laughs> no can you, yeah. can you can you imagine putting Jodie Whittaker in this same you know, cargo netting arena with weapons and and have her physically fight somebody. I, yeah. I it's very hard to imagine that happening. But it, I'm trying it, to imagine it, other it doctors. shows. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine other doctors being put yeah. in that situation. Yeah. But b- yeah, but not her. And it shows how the show has limited itself dramatically in right. what it what it will consider doing these days. Yeah, it and wouldn't have been the first it, or the second, the, but maybe the fourth and the yeah. fifth. Yeah, I, you know, it wouldn't necessarily be because and you know, the, the first sixth. woman doctor or anything yeah. like that, but just the way they've written that doctor would yeah. not permit it. Right. Yeah, because I I could see the ninth doctor, but mm, I really yeah, don't. like if 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 the yeah. doctor regenerates into Laura Croft Tomb Raider, she could totally do that. <laughs> oh yeah, well, that would be but, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next doctor is going to be. <clears throat> that would be wow. Um, so there's this. There's a moment here where Hapesh, after the doctor's been sentenced to trial by combat, Hapesh comes to him, to the doctor, and kind of offers him an out. Mm-hmm. Here, here's a secret passage. Like, go take this passage, go to your tri- ship, and 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 go and just escape, and the, it'll be fine. It's and it, I'm on and your ta- side, and, and take Joe with you. Right. Yeah. It's almost like he wants. He doesn't want the doctor to initially die. He just wants him out of the way. And um, he's explicit about that. The yeah. doctor says, mm-hmm. well, how do I know you won't just kill me on the way there? And he says, because I don't want you dead. The Galactic Federation would totally stomp our butts if anything happens to you. I want you out of here. I don't want you dead. Right, right. And he he later says the same thing after he's done the coup with um and, and mm-hmm. has King Peladon as hostage. He says the same thing to all of the other delegates. I don't want trouble with the Federation. I just want you gone. Right. Mm-hmm. He's afraid of the future and technology, that, that it would replace the tradition and religion of Peladon and the, the yeah. usual fear of change, fear well, of and then the, new. And then there's Arcturus, supposedly Arcturus has done some dirty dealing in the back, you know, behind with uh, Heptur, uh, Hepesh. With yeah. Hepesh. And so, and that's part of the reason why he's opposing this 
contract, this, this agreement. Yeah, what they say is that Arcturus' home planet has no mineral deposits, but Peladon's got lots of them. And so uh, Arcturus has cut a side deal with Hapesh that if I help you thwart the Federation joining plan, we get some mineral exchange, mineral trade right. afterwards. Incidentally, uh, Arcturus dies at this point, and it goes by really fast. We've known for a while, we've known from very early on that Hapesh mm-hmm. was up to no good because we would see him doing dealings in in when other characters weren't around. Um, but we also learned over the course of episodes two and three that he had an accomplice, and we didn't know who that was. And but we knew there was an accomplice that he was allied with someone, and then eventually, because we see um, Arcturus. Uh, eavesdropping on a conversation between Joe and the Ice Warriors, we get the evidence that electronically eavesdropping on this conversation, we we get the sense that it's Arcturus, but he's finally revealed and immediately killed off at mm. the at the end of the cargo net combat sequence mm. because apparent and this this really goes by fast. It's easy to miss or to misunderstand what's happening, but what happens is at the end after the Doctor has defeated Grun. Arcturus starts to get a blaster to kill the doctor with, and Sorg, the ice warrior, sees what he's doing and gets out his blaster and kills Arcturus first. Mm-hmm. So between this, the, these close-up shots of blasters being extended, it's a little hard to tell what's going on, but basically Arcturus gets ready to kill the doctor, but Sorg kills him first. And after that, right. they talk about how Arcturus was the traitor. Yeah, part of the problem was that they did it as a cliffhanger where Arcturus pulls his gun out at the end of yeah. episode three, and then at the beginning of episode four, we have Sorg using his weapon. So it, there's this, you know, interim, and yeah, mm-hmm. it just, it, 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 yeah, it makes it confusing. Yeah, I also am not happy with the doctor's um, running down of, I, I, this is, you know, Given when this was written, you had this meme in our culture about, oh, the Middle Ages were the Dark Ages. And, you know, you still have people who are less educated saying that kind of thing. But at least (laughs) there's there's scholarly pushback on that now. Right. But there wasn't so much because you had, you know, uh, England was a, a Protestant country. And so it was in the interest of the Church of England to uh, portray the Catholic Middle Ages as if they were dark. And so, um, you know, there's this, and it, it's, it's being driven by anti-Catholic prejudice, basically. You run into that in Protestant countries. Yep. Well, it's affecting the writing of this episode. Yeah. Because, because the doctor, is, it, 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 is, it is so clearly right. It's just assumed that joining the Galactic Federation is a good thing. And that that represents progress and what should be done. And the doctor will scold Hepesh, the high priest, who is change hesitant about, oh, the alternative is leaving your people. Because Hepesh says, I want my people to be free. They're going to lose mm-hmm. autonomy um, if they're part of the Federation. And the doctor says, oh, are they free now? Trapped by, imprisoned by ritual and superstition? Is it like, okay, what's wrong with ritual? And yeah, who are right. you to say there's superstition involved here? This is this is just a cipher for talking about the middle, the Earth Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's that. Yeah, it was a little subtler then, uh, a lot more out in the open <laughs> these days. Well, 
It yeah. was it was not very subtle because like the first scene is the the superstitious high priest having the the progressive we want to change the world oh, and join true. the Federation person killed. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's more things. Changed. That's not very subtle. Yeah, that's true. You're right. <laughs> I, I do like though how it kind of at this point in the narrative, or at least before the the battle with with Grun, both Hepesh and the Ice Warriors are independently trying to help the Doctor escape. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Hepesh has given him a map and told him is like just go out, get out of here, take your princess and go. Um and and the Ice Warriors are like plotting with Joe to like break into the Doctor's cell and get him out. And I, I just I love that independent parallel tracks right. of, you know, these two antagonists are going to different groups are going to help the doctor escape. So one of the fun things that happens is that the doctor, now that he knows that Agador is just a this beast, this uh, man bear pig, man bear pig. Thank you. Um, he with, uh, it's it, with one horn. So it's a unicorn yep. man bear pig. Yeah. It's almost like a, a Mugato. <laughs> a <little bit>. mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It looked a lot like that, yeah. If you dipped it in chocolate. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he decides he's going to get control of it by hypnotizing it. And so he modifies the Sonic with this mirror on top. And I thought it was funny. Like he, When he tests it out, he almost hypnotizes himself. And then yeah. he shows it to Joe and hypnotizes her. Uh, accidentally. So thing, accidentally. Yep. So it's very effective. Uh, and then as he's hypnotizing the, uh, the Agador, he sings this venusian uh, lullaby to it yeah and uh, venusian lullabies need more words in them than just arun <laughs> right right it's like yeah. wow he keeps saying that word over and over okay come on you can be more creative than this guys you could singing a lullaby i mean yes they will have occasional recurring words in them but 90 percent of the lullaby should not be john pertwee ad-libbing Arun, 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 Like we can do yeah. better than that. Yeah, that yeah, it was, it went on and on and on. Yeah. Um and then so uh, so he ends up getting the, the beast to the throne room to prove that it's not you know, their god Agador, but just a beast. And uh Hapesh makes the, the classic error of ordering the beast to attack the hero. And the beast instead attacks him because the beast has come to love the doctor, of course. Um, yeah, now now he's a big furry dog. Yep. And Hapesh gets mauled and dies. And then we have in the after that, so the Hartardus has been rescued and brought up to all, all, the castle. Although he dies with an element of nobility because yep. um because he, he says as he's dying, I hope I was wrong. You know, like he, yep. he wishes Peladon, which now has a future in the Federation. He hopes that that's the right thing. Right, right. So uh, Peladon asks Joe to stay and be his queen, and she considers it. There's a there's a moment where she's kind of thinking about it, mm-hmm. and uh, she even asks, um, you know, uh, the doctor even asks her, "Are you thinking of staying behind?" And uh, I'd have I'd have a few questions first. I mean, do you have indoor plumbing on this planet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. How's your health care? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they have the TARDIS back, but they're they're going to go to the coronation first, and then you know before they take off. And uh, the Doctor name drops that it's the first coronation since either Elizabeth the first or Queen Victoria. I can't exactly remember. And Joe accuses him of being a name dropper, which the the, the Doctor is in all his incarnations nothing oh, yeah. but a name dropper. Um, and uh, but they find out that the uh 
the real delegate from Earth has finally shown up. I'm not sure where she's been, but uh, she's in, in the um, in the credits. She's listed as Amazonia of Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't know if uh, why she has well, a name. She might have been from Brazil then. Maybe. Yeah. Um. But it's it's kind of funny. The uh, you know, she's arguing with Alpha Centauri and Isler about the um, you know. Whether she's the actual were. delegate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the doctor and Joe kind of hear from like, oh, uh, we better not go to the coronation. And so Joe makes him take her to uh, Queen Victoria's coronation. I've already yeah. seen it. Well, I haven't. So we're going again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was that was a lot of fun. And then they go. And they, uh, the people, the Amazonia and Isler and the others see the TARDIS disappear and aren't amazed. So. Yeah. As you do. Yeah, as you do. So, Father Corey, any uh, last thoughts about this one? So, there's a, there's a scene where Hepesh is putting incense in a bowl uh, before the, the, the throne of Egador, or the shrine of Egador. And, of course, it's got some little flash powder. It's like, you know, maybe I need to do that. You know, mix in a little <laughs> flash powder into our incense for Mass. You know, maybe they'll liven up a little bit. People will want oh, to come to Mass for if they can get a little bit of show, you know. <laughs> well, you, you do live in a part of the country where folks have, you know, shotguns in the back windows of their pickups. So... A little gunpowder in there. Gunpowder in the incense would <laughs> exactly. That's, that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking. A little, little mixing a little gunpowder. <laughs> uh, how about you, Jimmy? So Alpha Centauri um, is described by the doctor in this as a hermaphrodite hexapod. So they express they he expressly addresses the fact that it's not a he or a she; it's an it. Mm-hmm. And it does have six limbs, which hexapod would mean six foot. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't travel on any of its six limbs. It travels on it, the main base of it, the central stalk of its body, and um, and that would mean it's not so much a, a, a hermaphrodite hexapod because it doesn't use its pods, its feet for locomotion. Instead, it's more like a hermaphrodite hexagastropod. It travels mm. on its central stalk like a slug or something, mm. only in an upright posture. So a gastropod, gastro means stomach, and pod means foot. So a slug travels on its stomach. Its stomach is right. its foot. And that's basically the body design that Alpha Centauri is using, except it's got these additional arms for manipulation, but it doesn't use them for locomotion. It also, Alpha Centauri has, is the second longest time gap between original appearance and being brought back on New Who. For Alpha Centauri, it was 43 years uh, between appearances. Uh, the longest is The Great Intelligence, which had 44 years. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. One of the things that the king doesn't know about is when the doctor is accused of, of desecrating the Holy of Holies is that there are secret tunnels down there. And and Hapesh assures him there aren't, but just take the king down there. We've got a mm-hmm. bunch of squabbling about take, are there secret tunnels or not. Take him to them. Right. Well, there, there's one right in the the throne room there because there's the guard that <laughs> sneaks out the back of the throne room. And Joe does as well. Right. Uh, let's see. Alpha Centauri is, I have in my notes, is basically a biological version of C-3PO. <laughs> An officious, cowardly, annoying diplomat used largely for comic relief. Right. And and I just so I just couldn't help being reminded of C three PO. I was I liked the fact that uh Peladon uses purple as a royal color, just like we do. 
Yep. Um, I don't know if their royals got it from the snot of sea slugs the way our royals did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but per, yeah, purple was a good quality. Purple was hard to make as a dye in the ancient world, and that's why it got associated with royalty. They also I, I use blue as an accent color in that purple blue royal scheme. Mm-hmm. I think that works well. On the other hand, what I don't think works well is the amnesty that King Peladon gave to all of the soldiers that participated in the coup against him. It's like, yeah. okay, dude, got to kill those guys. I'm telling you, y- y- your 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 own guards have taken up arms against you. They have to die. They <laughs> the you cannot you cannot just forgive them because of what this will do for the future. They've taken up arms against you once already. You cannot trust these guys anymore. And if you fire them, they will, that will definitely, um, cause them to want to, uh, to knock you over again. So they can't remain in your employee because you can't trust them. And you can't just cut them loose and tell them to go learn to code. <laughs> mm. So you can either effectively imprison them for a really long time if you have effective prisons. Or you got to kill them. But one way or another, you got to make an example of these guys. You are not safe as a king employing people who have already taken their swords and turned them against you. Yeah. I don't care if someone was leading them. They didn't have to do that. They're not Borg. These men are untrustworthy. Yep. Yep. No, that's true. It's true. Yeah, they have to be. Yeah, it it, it, that that is the least realistic thing with with that is. uh... Yeah, you, you, the king, a king would never just say, no, no, it's okay. Oh, Jimmy, that's just, you know, it's just Peladon showing how progressive he is so that he can join the Galactic Federation. Come right. on, get with the times. Maybe exile them, anyway. <laughs> so I think that should do it for us this time. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Jacob P., Ted H., Nicholas W., Janet K., and Nancy. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. What did you think of The Curse of Peladon? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or The Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the new StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And just to let you know, uh, you do not have to be a patron to join us there. And everyone is welcome. So check it out. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the 12th Doctor story, The Robot of Sherwood. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember... Harun, Harun, Harun.